0: LaFondra
1: looking to get side of away from Davis three one running three points running.
0: Hello and welcome to the Alpar Rolls a podcast supported by Blue Collar Street Food. Well, that is about upbeat as it's going to get today. That little intro there because we were absolute dog shit last night. Let's not dress it up in any way or form. We lost one nil to Cardiff City. No attacking intent at all from the first minute. I'm sure Paul Ince would say that we did and we had a plan. I don't know what the plan was because I didn't see it. It was dreadful. Absolutely awful. But to help me talk through it, I've been joined by Hugh. How are you doing, Hugh?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Uh, glad I didn't go down to Cardiff last night. So I've got a good night's sleep after after watching that. Got to turn it off at 10 o'clock and just kind of got to bed. So, um, yeah, not not too bad. <laughs>
0: Well, here's someone who wasn't quite so clever and uh, did actually go to the match, and that's Alex.
2: So shit. Honestly, it was so bad. Um, it's a shit game. It's a shit journey. shit weather. It's a crap journey back. It's just rubbish. It's
0: awful. What a waste of my time. And you spent four hours or so with Matt Lansley. I mean, you could look at that. Either way. That was a pleasure, Lansley. Don't worry. Don't listen to him. <laughs> No, no, Lansley's great. He knows that. I'm joking. Right then. So there were five changes last night. I did, I feel like I technically need to go through this. In was Aziz, Guinness Walker, Dan, Fauna and Loom. And out was Yadam. He was suspended, obviously. So that was a no-brainer. Ince, who they said on Sky Sports that he was in the red zone. So they were worried about him. But they still put him on for the last half hour. Long seems to be injured as well. Roman injured. Hendrick seems to be illness. So a lot of them were forced, weren't they, Hugh? But ultimately, do you really think that had much impact on the actual game? I guess it did a little, but I think we would have played exactly the same.
1: When you're, when you're starting a game, though, with four centre-backs on the pitch and a holding midfielder, you're never going to create anything. You're setting up your stall. And especially the day before, Ince was saying in his pre-match press conference, um, we're looking to stay in the game. I think the phrasing was you're playing a team away that haven't won since October. You shouldn't be looking to stay in the game against a team like that. So it just, yeah, you looked at the lineup. I actually texted my mate, um, who's a Cardiff fan, the moment I saw the lineup and said, We're not playing to score a goal today. So it's either nil nil or you're going to win this one. So it's just like you look at that and think, Where's the creativity on the pitch? I get like, and yeah, in they did say on, on Sky, I think it was a hamstring issue, so they didn't want to risk playing him from the start. But you've got Cassaday, you've got Mayte on the bench, you've got attacking options, but it's clearly set up to not to score yesterday.
0: Yeah, which is a trend. I also saw a stat that I think it was Tom Line on Twitter, and he said that Cardiff hadn't won eight home games on the trot now, hadn't won in, and uh, they hadn't uh, had such a bad win since 1920. And along come Reading FC, Alex. I mean, we kind of all had a sense how this might end up, but we always hope, bizarrely, optimistically, with our terrible away record, something might change. But there was no no evidence at any point of that happening last night.
2: I stopped watching at one point last night. It was rubbish. I was in the ground in the stand. I was just like, I just don't see the point. just went on Twitter on my phone just to see what people were saying about the game instead. Turns out no one was saying anything about the game. People were just looking for movie recommendations but um yeah the it was so frustrating because the lineup actually gave a little bit of not hope it wasn't hope but it gave a little bit of like flexibility to what we could have done there was there was a chance when you've got an opportunity to make four or five changes to the team there's a chance that you can line up and do something different and instead we just lined up in exactly the same manner just with different players I don't understand what the like what the plan is when you do that. You're obviously you're going to get the same result if you just line up in the same formation every week. It it just seems so kind of like lazy. Uh, like there's no there's no thought process about oh well today we're playing Cardiff. Cardiff like to attack using wing backs. Well maybe we should try and neutralize them somehow. And it just feels like we just basically sit there. Playing, like it feels like Paul Lynch is sitting there playing football manager and he's just literally just keep clicking continue the whole time just changing the team lineup at the at the last moment it's yeah it's really frustrating because it felt like just such a missed opportunity because Cardiff were not very good and yet they dominated us,
1: um and probably should have won by more than more than one probably should have won by three or four and, I mean, speaking of what you said about movie recommendations, if anyone listening has seen Mike Bassett, England manager, where he confronts the England fans after, it's almost like Paul Ince was a bit like that. And it's like, well, what do you lot know anyway? And I just want to say, well, 4-3-3 worked in the week in the second half. So, stick and Bengay at right back, Guinness Walker at left back, only start one of Lou Moore McIntyre at holding midfield, and then go Fauna Cassidy... And then have a front free of Mate Carroll Aziz. It's not rocket science. Full free free work. You're not. And like you were saying, Alex, they're playing wing backs who want to push up high. So what you do is you try and exploit that space. If you don't have anyone out wide, you can't exploit the space. We just stuck nine behind the ball, and that was it.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much summarised. Uh, let's finish the podcast then. <laughs> that was pretty much it, wasn't it? Really. Yeah, no, um, what Uh, we're going to do in the format today, we're going to quickly run through the match because there was very little from us to talk about attacking. There was nothing at all. We're going to run through that. Then we're going to talk about the Paul Lintz interview post-match, which was a bit of a car crash as well with Tim Della. It's become a bit of a in that over the last 15 years or so, hasn't it? There's always these moments. And then we're going to have the questions that you've sent us in, which we really appreciate. And there's loads of different topics that we're going to cover there. So, during the match, what happened? First half, Cabernet missed ultimate chances. One and two in the first, like, 10 minutes. Should have scored both of them, probably. Then we come to a red card incident that was McGuinness on Ebengue. Alex, you were at the ground. It looked like a red card from us at home. What did it feel like when you were in the it, ground? It looked really high. McGinnis challenge looked really high. studs
2: up. It looks like a straight red card. Um and the referee makes his mind up in about half a second that he's giving the yellow card. He's already got his yellow card out before anybody like says anything. He's he really knows what he's doing. Um I, I can't really see how you give a yellow card. I don't know where the referee has stood when he gives the like I couldn't tell you where he would like what his angle was or anything. Maybe he's got a shitty angle of the of the you know, of the incident and that's why he's given a yellow card. But yeah, it's it looks like a pretty much guaranteed straight red card from from the stand. Um, I'm pretty surprised the referee's only given him the yellow.
1: No, I mean with the advantage with the advantage of multi-angle from watching it on Sky, the referee had a completely clean view of it. Um, so I don't, I genuinely cannot understand because, like I said, McGinnis has lost the ball. He's taken a heavy touch and. You see it week in, week out in football. A player takes a heavy touch and they overcompensate on it and go absolutely flying into someone. His studs are raised. He's out of control. He can't, the moment he goes leaping in, he can't then pull his leg back out of the way. He's going to completely clean out Mbengue. And at first I was thinking, well, maybe Mbengue jumped out of the way and kind of flipped through the air. And that's why he hasn't given it because it's like there wasn't actually any contact. So he's just giving it, on intent, but then watching it back, he the studs go right into and Bengay's ankle. And both MacAnuff and Jamie Mackey in the studio at halftime were both saying it's a red card. They can't see how it wasn't given. And yeah, it it, it might have changed the game in, in that instance if if he had been sent off that. it's yeah again we're talking about kind of crap refereeing in the championship.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was a definite red card, but we did have the advantage of multiple views, didn't we? There's no doubt on that. Um, I'm not going to sit behind this and say that, oh, that kind of like we would have gone on to do much better on the game. Because in all probability, a draw would have been an absolute best result we would have got. Because if you don't attack, you're not actually going to score. And I think in many ways, we would have just sat back even more. I mean, just imagine the pressure that the team would have felt. Oh, God, it's just depressing. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I'm trying not to get too downbeat. But then we have the opportunities in the second half for Cardiff. Robinson has one off the bar. There's can I, can ch- I just say about the first
2: half as well? I've never seen a fullback get beaten as many times in the first half as Junior Hoyler did. and Aldo must have beaten him 15 times in the first half yeah. to put crosses in. And no, there were a lot performances in that game, though, wasn't there? There, was, there was, yeah. It was that was epic. just. The, that was just the one because it was right in front of us in the corner. It was just blindingly obvious that Junior Hoyland needed some kind of help to, to stop Callum O'Dowd putting crosses in. Um, I just I can't believe that nobody on the bench noticed the fact that every single cross was coming from the right hand side or our right hand side and and tried to get somebody to cover him. It just seems like it was just
0: really odd watching it that they carried on letting that happen for 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I thought Nabi Sawa has actually had one of his better games for us last night. And I thought he played pretty well again against Rotherham last week. Oh, Tuesday, God, it seems like a lifetime ago. That's the problem with Reading. It drains their life out of you. You don't know what, which world you're living on it sometimes. But I do think then in the second half, it was a weird one in the second half for you, wasn't it? Because... Cardiff were the better team, but there wasn't loads and loads of chances that they had until the the last 15 minutes when it started to build up again. Hmm. I think
1: that says more about Cardiff than us, though, without kind of wanting to hammer Cardiff too much and get their fans after us on Twitter. There's there's a reason they were 21st in the league going into this game. Callum Robinson's never been known for kind of being a, a clinical finisher. And yeah, if you line up with five defenders at the back and a couple of holding midfielders you are going to kind of prevent teams from creating space just by sheer virtue of having so many bodies in the way there isn't the space for Cardiff to create. I mean, they had... It was a lot of half chances in both the first and second half, I felt. There was no kind of one-on-ones that Joe Lumley had to save. I think there was one in the first half where Robinson got the wrong side of Dan and then kind of scuffed his shot straight at Lumley. And then, yeah, like you said in the second half, Robinson hits one that looks destined for the top corner. But, um yeah, hits the post instead with Lumley rooted to the spot. One of those where the keeper wouldn't have had a chance of getting near it. He hit it so sweet. But, um, yeah, they, they never kind of... It did start to look like it could have ended nil-nil with the chances they were having. Yeah, definitely by the time we got to the 91st minute. There was a, a rare, oh, I don't know
0: you thought oh something might actually happen here because like with reading away you just never have any expectation at all a shot is an absolute bonus when also the card of city goalie absolutely shanked his kick and mate did everything he could to actually get the ball to the back of the net he couldn't do any more there could he alex
2: i mean he's got as close as he's going to get by the time that also kind of takes his mistouch um, I think Maytay's still a few yards away, really. So he's got as close as he's going to get there. And uh, I mean, it, to be honest, at least he's managed to get there. At least he's tried to pressure them. Um, because you know, I don't. If Maytay wasn't on the field, I don't think anybody else was going to get there. Because our strikers play fifteen yards behind the ball, otherwise. Um, so, yeah, it it would have been fun. Would have been quite funny to see that happen. Does. Can't really, you know, you can't really ever complain when a goalkeeper makes a hilarious mistake, but um, also recovers pretty quickly. Um, and the chance goes, and that's as close as we ever get.
0: So, 91st minute comes along, Matey gives away a free kick that maybe he shouldn't do, but that's not really the massive issue here. And Benge clears the free kick away with a header, and then Sawyer hits an absolute screamer, doesn't he? Hugh? I mean, you gotta say, that has a, it's a similar. It's a different type of strike, but it reminds me of Hendrick when he had that mm. screamer as well. Look. I
1: think I think it took a slight deflection off Nelson Abbey as well, who dives in. It's it's one of those where I don't think watching it back with the angle that Lumley had a good view on it. So there's not not too much you can blame him for there because I think it's almost kind of by the time he sees it, it's going into the back of the net. It's, I guess it's like what Cardiff were trying a bit towards the end was that kind of if you just Hit it from outside the box you've got hope that it'll bounce around or it'll deflect into someone's path who gets a better chance and and at the end of the day if you don't buy buy a ticket you don't win the raffle they tried to score in the game we didn't and so deservedly like I don't think any of us here on the pod today are going to say that Cardiff didn't deserve all three points last night um yeah it was well well struck by Sawyers I mean it had the power to find its way into the into the bottom corner. So no fair fair play to Cardiff then.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally deserved to win that. Um they could have won that two or three nil quite easily. And um, yeah, we move on from that. Paul Ince post match. Now, these are the direct quotes they made to Tim Deller, and I think we definitely need to discuss this because there's there's a lot going on here.
2: Are you going
0: to do it with the voice, Paul? No, I'm not going to do that, because that's not good. <laughs> Can I, I do it with the voice? Do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. Paul <laughs> Innes, this is okay. These guys aren't good enough to play the football we want to play. Tim Della, very rare that a manager says that his players aren't good enough to play football. Also, Paul Innes, I never said that they weren't good enough. Don't put words in my mouth, Tim, son. <laughs> now, there is a lot going on there. Um. I'm going to start with you alex you're in the car with matt on the way back from cardiff and i got this on whatsapp from uh matt and he was fuming he would he'd lost it completely and i understand it because when you've just paid all the money to go there and everything and you see these kind of comments it it just triggers you completely it's
2: it's clueless honestly it's it's absolutely clueless he doesn't know what he's saying and that's not me saying doesn't understand what he's saying he doesn't know what he said two sentences before he said it he's so like he, he contradicts himself every other sentence every other interview he says something which completely contradicts what he said previously and the thing is what he's contradicting himself about in yesterday's interview with him saying oh my players aren't good enough we can't play football um you know people shouldn't expect us to play at prime barcelona we were in the car, and we were. We don't want you to play like prime Barcelona. No one's asking you to knock it out from the back and play 90% possession football like Manchester City or something. All we want to do is see some kind of intent, some kind of willingness to go to win games against teams who are maybe, maybe they are better than us, maybe they're not, but they're not. You know, they're not levels and miles above us in terms of in terms of quality. Why are we why are we playing them like they're you know prime Man United in the in the mid, late, late 1990s. We've got players who've played hundreds of appearances in the championship. These players aren't, aren't bad players. Lumley's played over a hundred times. Holmes has played a hundred times. Sars played over a hundred. Hendrick and Ince have got 400 appearances in the championship. zhao has got 250, Mate has got 150. They're all experienced championship professionals. They're not bad players. And yet we treat them like they're, like Paulins treats them like they've never seen a football before. I don't understand the like I, I don't understand his rhetoric they're not shit players like if they were that shit they wouldn't have this many appearances in the championship you know they yes they're not top-end championship players fine I agree but they're not so shit that we should be sitting there you know treating Cardiff City like they're you know prime Barcelona it's that's not like that isn't that isn't right and it isn't fair on fans And it isn't to be fair not fair on the players because ultimately he's he's coming out now and he's every other week he's decided that the players aren't good enough and that's what he's saying and like if i was a player in that squad at this point i would have said you know what paul you're probably right i'm not good enough can't be asked i'm not going to try anymore and i wouldn't blame them
0: yeah um i can't disagree with any of that it is such a complex one isn't it when he's saying stuff and he's coming out and then not yeah, just contradicting himself repeatedly with that one. We're going to come on to some of his other comments afterwards, but Hugh, what was your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, one of the other comments I'd like to pick out is that he said it at one point in the interview, I think, and I'm paraphrasing here like with what he said, but he goes, I've had players knocking on my door this week and I've given them a chance to play and they've let me down today. And so while he's not named names... We all know who that is because these are players like we can say, okay, well, Femi Aziz hasn't been starting week in, week out. Guinness Walker hasn't been starting. Tyrese Fauna hasn't been starting. So essentially what Paul Lintz is doing is going, you three have been asking to start every game and you've been shit today. So good luck getting back in the team. And it's like, when does it ever work, a manager calling out specific players? I've never seen it be beneficial. I mean, I will send to... My dad yesterday that Ferguson used to be brilliant at hammering players in the dressing room. You read any Man United player's autobiography and they'll say, like, I've been on the end of Ferguson hammering me and I knew I'd let him down. But to the press, he would always go to them and there'd be some kind of, oh, the referee today or, oh, we had to play a game Tuesday night when our opponents didn't. But Paul Ince going... If I worked for Paul Ince and I went to... And I saw him give him that interview where he said, like, someone was knocking on my door, and I'm Guinness Walker, and I've started. And and what could Guinness Walker do, in all fairness to him, yesterday? He's got no-one in front of him. He played so well on Tuesday because he had Aziz and Fauna making kind of little triangles, and they were playing intricate little passes between the two of them, three of them, um, winning free kicks, and that's how we won the free kick to get the equaliser at Rotherham. I was kind of watching Guinness Walker's game especially because I wanted him to do well because God knows Rahman hasn't been doing well in that position. And there were so many times Guinness Walker got the ball, looked up, no option down the channel because he had McIntyre at left centre mid and he had Carroll as striker. So, of course, he was just going to lump it up at Carroll. So, it's I just I don't like the throwing players under the bus. There's only so long it can last. And I think they said during the game, um, the commentary team, that actually... This is Ince's longest spell as a manager in charge of a club. So you start to see why that might be the case, because the, the bollocking players only works for so long, doesn't it, before people start to to down tools, like you were saying, Alex? I will say about the the kind of the players um,
2: getting stick from ball-ins. They didn't play well necessarily yesterday. But I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they're playing in a system which doesn't allow them to play well. So, how can they play well if you're not giving them the chance to be able to play well in the first place? Players like Aziz, you put him in to start, and as you say, Hugh, he, he's been, you know, knocking on the door, trying to get a start, and now he's finally got a start. You put him up front alongside Andy Carroll, where you haven't played him at all anyway this season, and now you've decided to put him there, and then you've not. Given him anything, uh, like I don't even know how many. I don't know how many times he touched the ball, but it can't have been more than fifteen in an hour. You haven't given him the opportunity to do anything. So how can, you, like, how is it their fault? Because you, you you've asked them to play that system. They've played the system that you've asked them to do. And if you're not training them or teaching them to play in a, a system and make it effective, both in defence and attack you might as well not bother doing any training at all because you clearly like not getting any of your ideas across if that's what you're trying to portray.
0: Yeah, I I can't disagree with that. I think we should get onto the questions because honestly, there's we're covering uh, some of the topics that come up in that. And um, yeah, I just need to move on from that, to be honest, because somebody just go around in circles, won't we? <laughs> so here's one from uh, Craig then. Why do players seemingly like Ince when he throws them under the bus, doesn't play them, plays them out of position, or using tactics that don't suit them? If Paul Ince goes, do we assume Tom Ince goes or stops performing? Best player this
1: season, but at the expense of the team? What do you think, Hugh? It is That is a genuinely tough one to answer, because we can't know without being in the dressing room ourselves. I can't answer, do the players like Ince? I mean, it... It doesn't, like you were saying, the performance wasn't good anyway, So it's, but that's also down to tactics. So it's hard to tell if they are playing for him or not. Um, You'd have to hope. I mean, we gave Tom Ince, what, three-year contracts. He'll have two years left in the summer. You'd have to hope that Tom Ince would carry on playing, but not for his dad. But again, it's it's a very awkward one, sacking someone's dad and then expecting someone to still be your, your best player. Um, in the team, it would it would make things very awkward, I imagine. I remember, I don't know if anyone else remembers the Jem Karashan interview um, at the time when Pownovic got sacked and Ince got appointed because Tom Ince was all, already at the club. He was saying, if I was in the dressing room, I'd be wanting to grab Tom going, What's, what's all this about then? I hear your dad's becoming a manager. So it's, yeah, it, it'd definitely be awkward, is what I'd say. I can't imagine that being a comfortable scenario if, if Ince does get sacked.
0: Yeah, um I remember Jim saying that because he also said it on our podcast as well, Hugh. So that was definitely one we remember. Here's one from Callum. Is it harder or easier to lose a dressing room when your son is in there? I mean, this is an interesting dynamic, isn't it? That we've never really, never had before with That's a, a manager who's in situ. Yeah. That's a great, great
2: question. I think it's got to be harder, surely. Especially when... I think it would be more it would be easier if the player wasn't one of the senior players who was playing well. But because Tom Ince is one of the players who's playing well, I feel like it must be more difficult to lose the dressing room because ultimately he's having a good season, so why can't the rest of you? Um so I feel yeah it's probably more difficult in the situation that we're in with Tom Ince who's playing well. If Tom Ince is playing badly then maybe I think it might be easier to lose the dressing room because the rest of the squad Aren't quite so reliant on him, but
1: that's a fantastic Did, question. Really didn't cool. he say something as well um, about Tom Ince in the um, in the post match interview where he said, "Well, because Tom isn't starting, we're not going to have that level of creativity," which just seemed like a very odd thing to say as the guy's dad as well. It's like kind of extreme level of nepotism, isn't it? To to kind of put the reasoning down to oh, well, my son didn't play, so of course we're not going to create things. It, It's not going to bring much harmony to a dressing room coming out with stuff like that.
0: No, no, it is interesting, isn't it? But here's another one then from Stephen Cabin, who uh, comes up with some amazing threads over the years. When you think of the time a team spends together between games, you imagine at some point they must analyse their own past performances study how the next opponent plays, and then come up with a plan to try and win the game. So what do you imagine Reading is doing with all that time, Alex? I mean, it, it's popped up already on the podcast, so I'm not quite sure what is happening.
2: They must they must be enjoying the training ground. I know the training ground's lovely. They must, they must be enjoying it. Like maybe they spend a lot of time in the gym. I don't, maybe... Maybe they've got some Xboxes set up or some Playstations at the training ground, and they just, you know, have a game of FIFA. Who, like, who knows? Uh, to be fair, they spend an awful lot of time travelling, Paul Ince has told us. Six and a half hours to Sunderland on the coach. I, I imagine Cardiff wasn't an easy journey. On a Friday lunchtime, that's got to be at least two and a half hours. So, who knows? Like, they could be doing anything, right? Like, But clearly, they are not game planning for whoever their next opponent is. Um... You know, I mean, I could tell I could tell Paul Innes and Alex Ray that they're playing Blackpool next weekend. Would either of them have a clue what, you know, what we should do in different, that different to what we did against Rotherham? No. We'll probably play exactly the same way. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what they're doing. Travelling is my best guess because they don't seem to, they seem to
0: be able to get
2: anywhere without it taking longer than everybody else
0: i don't know just staying in the game i think that's it really isn't it i think this is where the we're at the level that we're at here's some more questions about the topics that's been coming up a lot obviously Paul pauline's leaving at what point is he going to stay who knows so we get on to that with those ones now from steve paul seriously i can see the point of ins out people but now really we're 11 points clear of the relegation everyone had us down already which is a fair point, Steve. Uh, I totally agree. At the start of the season, a lot of people would have said that. Yeah, we're shit, but hopefully we stuck to the rules and start properly in the summer. Change the manager now, and we're down, in my opinion. What do you
1: think, Hugh? I mean, the, the funniest scenario, I guess, would be drop Rahman, end up having to pay more of his wages, because that's the room of the X amount, Break FFP due to that, get a minus six, get relegated due to that minus six would be, would be the funniest kind of Reading aren't actually safe scenario in that. But um, no, I do. I'd, I'd give in till the summer because, personally at least, because I don't see the point in changing right now looking for someone who's available. What I'd be doing is almost in the summer. If I'm Mark Bowen, I've been brought in as the head of football operations. So There isn't a chain of command now. Like you see at some clubs that are still run badly, like Cardiff with Vincent Tan chopping and changing every five minutes. I think Bowen needs to take a long, hard look and say, we can sign players again. We're not going to go crazy. But if we've got a head coach, what is his style and what do we want to implement at Reading? Now, I think Ince should almost have to interview, like anyone else, to say, what does next season look like if you're in charge? And if I'm Bowen, I am speaking to other people it doesn't need to be kind of he doesn't there doesn't need to be a kind of post up on May 31st saying by the way guys I've interviewed Nathan Jones um, and I can't I've immediately blanked on other names that are available but he doesn't need to say this but he can be having these conversations in private say Paul what does next season look like for you because right now your style of play is shocking it is for Worst football. And we've sat through Paul Clement, where I had no idea what he was trying to do. Yapstam not playing a striker because Kermigant and Bodvarsson were injured. And I'd take either of those over the kind of shower of shit we watched through last night. It's been atrocious.
2: Well, I said it last night. I miss Paul Clement football. It was at least we tried, at least we tried to score. Like sorry. Um,
0: and that is a dark place.
2: That you're yeah. in. That is. That is I a dark I know, like don't get me wrong. Like, the, we would we'd lose under these old managers, Clement Gomez and Poundovich and so on, and so forth. But at least we were trying to win games as well. Like, and we were often losing because we made a mistake or we were bad and so on and so forth. At the minute, we just lose because we don't even try to win the game. It's just, what's the point? Like, you might as well just not turn up you're not even trying to win the games um I, I i kind of agree with you i like i can understand exactly why people would be in town now i i get it because it's not been a fun season there's, there's no as a it on on here the other day there's no joy at all in following this team at the minute there's absolutely zero um it's not fun it's not exciting yes, we win some games, but ultimately we're winning them from set pieces and we don't create, we don't, it's not exciting to watch in any way whatsoever. Has INTS managed to get us to the point where we're probably gonna get the objective completed? Yes, probably. Um, so it's, it's difficult to justify sacking him yet. But I mean, I would be ever so slightly more Ince like, in favour of Vince if just once he came out if once he came out and said you know what I got that wrong did that wrong like I, I think maybe I should have set us up differently today maybe I should have set us up with like you know maybe I should have set us up playing 4-3-3 maybe I maybe I've made the wrong team selection but it's never he, he hasn't done that once it like
0: this comes has up some... a question here Alex that someone's asked It's amazing uh name that they've got, MH2486 Public. Now, I'm assuming that's not their real name. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping not, anyway. Uh, they give a long question about Pranovich's time, saying, but the essentially is, has ince ever taken credit for us playing really poorly? I mean, taking the blame would be better, I guess. But no, he, he doesn't. Knows. He's written really that in the heat at well, the moment. I understand that. Well, ultimately, every single week when we play
2: badly, it's all we... Let's not say play badly because actually there's there's two different things here. It's when we play badly and lose, he doesn't ever take any kind of responsibility for it. Um, If if we play badly and lose, he will often find that whoever's made individual error for them to score or whatever's happened, he'll somehow focus on that rather than the fact that we haven't played well enough to win the game anyway. Um, Completely negating the fact that obviously his job is to coach them. And if he's not doing that, then what's he doing there in the first place? Uh, there was a there was a thing after the Sunderland game about him saying individual decisions and, like, I can't train individual decisions. But I mean, why not? You're not training them to pass the ball. You're not training them to, you know, you're not training them to pass. You're not training them to shoot. They can do that. They're professional footballers. They don't need your help to learn how to head the ball anymore, Paul. You should be training them in decision making. You should be training them to play 4 or 5 2 in the style that you want. Like, that's what the time on the training ground is for. They don't need your help to learn how to, you know, learn how to, to run past a player. Like, they can do that. They're all professionals. Um, yeah, so he doesn't take blame when we play badly. And then when we win, like Rotherham, for example, he'll happily take the credit. It's, it's incredibly infuriating to have a manager like that.
0: Yeah, well, I just keep hearing the name Paul here and I'm getting really paranoid. By the end of this podcast, I'm getting, I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting blasted here, but thankfully it isn't me. But, I mean, I think the interesting thing is, how is it the scenario that Paul Int has got us... We're not safe yet, but we're probably going to stay up. Yet he's so disliked by not everyone. I'm not saying that for a second, but disliked by a fair amount of Redden fans now. And we've got 14 games to go and in all probability we'll stay up. How's that word? How do you manage to be disliked so much, but still achieve a target with relative ease you?
1: But I think it's for it's rhetoric, like Alex was saying, I think we all we all have started to see through it and it worked at first. The Rocket clearly, because you saw earlier in the season, we'd take a battering like at Rotherham and I thought after that Rotherham game, oh God, this could be the kind of start of a trend because we had some tougher teams coming up. But clearly they got the Rocket and then we bounced back the week after and for a while it started to work like that. But after a while, you you can only use the rocket for players so much. And I think what, what Alex was saying as well, it boils down to the fact that it's always, it's them when we lose, but it's me or my team or we whenever we win a game. And I think people are probably starting to see through that a bit. I mean, there's there's a reason kind of um, Jose Gomez was so loved because he talked about the fans. He talked about how much he loved the place. Paul Lintz, it almost comes across a lot of the time, at least to me, that, He's here because he's doing us a bit of a favour. Like, oh, I suppose I'll be the Red boss, then and I'll keep him in the Championship. Like, if I have to, I'll, I'll go down there and I'll do him a favour. As if I know we were on that list in both 12th and 21st for worst towns in the country, but, like, <laughs> God, it's not that bad, is it? Just, it could be worse.
0: Hey, uh, Let's not start slagging off to the ding as a place. <laughs> let's not start that. <laughs> this is the holy grail of Britain. This is the jewel of Berkshire. Let's not even start that. But there's another question here from Harold. Should the board continue to back in or the players at the club? Just Boney before that. On, sorry?
2: sorry? Just before that. Can I just jump in on the back of you saying? Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. On the back of you saying the fact that he's doing us a favour and often it's uh it's like me, like me or we when we win and, and us and them when we lose. Um and that the fans are starting to see through it. it. The one of the things that I, I noticed yesterday, and it's probably other people have probably noticed it. Ince is very, very anti-Reading fan. He doesn't. He doesn't like us. And Paul, like uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching there. But when was the last time anybody could tell you that Paul Ince came on the field at the end of the game, applauded the fans? You know. I mean, I'm talking of myself here, but Sunderland away last week was 150 quid day out, 200 quid day out. Cardiff yesterday is another 75 quid day, 60 quid day, whatever it is. 15 hours of traveling. Paul Inks doesn't, it gets to the end of the game. We've lost both games 1-0. We've had one shot on target between the two games. And in both games, he, as soon as full time happens, is straight off down the tunnel. Like, if you don't want to be here don't be here like we'll find another manager that's <laughs> not i like i i just don't i don't understand that kind of like he just he takes a lot of the support which the reading fans have given him and, and in fairness in decent ish numbers this season um especially away from home, the numbers have actually been reasonable he takes a lot of that support for granted from the fans and it's it's really really just it's awful like I don't understand if if that was any other manager or if, if that was a player, a set of players, we've seen it happen at Reading before. McShane, at uh, Stevenage years ago got booed off because he didn't come and applaud the fans after the game, and mm. all ends after every away game. He vanishes. Doesn't he has no idea that Reading fans even have turned up. Although as soon as he gets to the media, our good, good bat fans have backed to us today. Great job by them, but he wouldn't know he existed if he, you know, mm. he
1: doesn't, you can't even tell that he has any idea we're there. Mm. And again, it's for small things, isn't it? But obviously I, I listened to your podcast. You did with, with Bowen in the summer and he said he wants to work on that connection. When you got something like club 1871, which to be perfectly honest, cause I don't have a season ticket anymore. So don't go to as many games. I've noticed going back there, it isn't as loud as it used to be. It feels like there's kind of been a, a bit of a lull lately. And, and someone like Ince doesn't appreciate you absolutely bang on. 1,200 people went down to Cardiff on a Friday night where the game was on TV with no train back to Reading after full-time, so I had to drive or book a hotel for the night. And to to not go over at full-time is disgraceful from a manager um, when the fans have had to sit through and watch that. You, you absolutely should be going over to show you appreciate it, not just giving a few words to the media. Yeah, I can't disagree on any of that from both of you.
0: I'm going to read out Harold's question now. I'm glad glad you both cut across. It's it actually way better than me saying anything. So Harold gives him this question. Should the board continue to back in all the players of the club? Bowen needs to step up, sack in and get a new manager in. Managers, Bowen is needed where he is currently, which I totally agree on. I don't think I want to see Bowen anywhere near the manager's job. Um, if there is anyone to come in, I think realistically, we're going to have ints until the end of the season. I'll be amazed if he you loses it for unless we go on an astonishingly bad run. But what do you think, You,
1: I just, I can't see the benefit before the end of the season when you're going to be, it's a much smaller market in the summer, you can kind of, have these private conversations where you go and look at managers who are performing well in League One, League Two. It's a lot harder to do that in the middle of a season to convince some, to coax someone out of another job. So I'd be, but if I was Bowen, what I'd be thinking is planning for next season, because like we've said, we're pretty much safe. I think three more wins takes us to 50 points. So you'd you'd assume we, we're going to get there. It would take a god-awful run between now and the end of the season for us not to not to uh, survive this season. But Bowen's role is to plan for the future. He's meant to have this oversight role. I, I 100% agree with um, Harold who asked the question. It can't be that Bowen puts himself back in charge. We can't We can't go back to that now, but it needs to just be that Bowen realises this role is all about you putting the right people in the right places we've as a fan base reaction to bringing in a new head of scouting has all gone down well Come directs in different positions so Bowen's now got to think the key role that is the head coach and that is Paul Ince's role he's not an old school manager in the way of like bringing your own players and all this and that his role is just coach the team into being the best Reading team they can be and right now he he's not meeting that remit. So, Bowen needs to have a long, hard think in the summer. For me, like I said, I I wouldn't go and hit the panic button right now because you're only going to... And we've seen it too much as a fan base, I think. Christ, since since Yapstam, I'm not wrong in thinking every season we've hit the panic button at some point, brought someone else in, and it's just this painful cycle. So... What I don't want to see is we bring someone in in February who gets us over the line and then we get to October, hasn't started well because they were all that was available at the time. So again, we sack them and then we're just in the constant loop that championship teams seem to be in at the moment.
0: This is officially the Scott Zan He actually started last night. So the Scott Zan zone is a little bit kind of... uh... A little bit dead for this week, but we're going to use it anyway. We're nearly at the end of this podcast now, and we do appreciate all the questions and thoughts and discussion points that you've sent us. But, Alex, is there anything that you'd like to say to, like, wrap it up?
2: No. uh, Sorry. (laughs) This isn't. Yeah, that's not a great way to end the podcast. No. That was not great, was it, Alex? Everything's been said though, hasn't it? Everything's been said for the past six weeks, two months. It's boring. I'm I'm bored. I'm bored of supporting this team. Like I know that being entertained isn't the be all and end all of football, but at the end of, at the end of it all, I don't go to football to go and watch Reading sit back every single week and not even try to win football games. It, and I, if you're not going to try and win a football game, why are you even bothering to be there in the first place? Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm, I'm I'm kind of over it. I'm done supporting them away from home in the minute. There's no point. Even the games that we've won this season away from home, you look at the games we've won, we won against Millwall, it's a set piece. And then we've held out and Millwall have dominated the rest of the game. We won at Wigan when, let's be honest, Wigan was shocking that day and hit the post late on anyway, probably should have equalized. And we won from a free kick. And then we won at Hull, who were 1-0 up against us, should have scored second. And then we've bundled in a, a late set piece again and we scored the, the equaliser from the set piece. I think we scored like five goals or four goals from open play away from home all season. What's the like why 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 are we bothering? Like, what's the point? It's 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 boring, it's not fun to watch. It might get some results at some point at home, whether that's through luck, whether that's through you know, good play or smart tacticals, I, I, I just not whether that's you know whatever it's from if it gets enough points to keep in the division, fantastic great job done but I have no interest in spending time and money and going and watching them play away from home anymore it's just not worth the worth the hassle at the minute it's just it's just not and credit I, would, I was right honest.
0: Alex you did have a fair amount to say at the end I mean, <laughs> you yeah, did have and, and I'll be honest
2: because like you know I, I do the majority of away games and Anybody who's still going to go to the rest of these away games, I think we're next away from home, which is like going to be a what, fifteen hour, fourteen hour day. It's a thirty pound ticket. Anyone who's still going to these away games, like fair play, credit to you. I don't know why you're going, but like you know, good job because it's it's miserable going to those games now.
0: So, yeah on that extremely high uh, level of optimism there, which I totally understand there <laughs> that is where we are going to finish the podcast so thanks both to you, Alex and you. If you have i'm going to say this in a weird way, enjoyed the podcast i'm not sure that's really how you could talk about it today. If you have though, give us a five star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we really appreciate it, and we will back with a pre-match preview of the game against Blackpool, probably out on Thursday. So who knows? Maybe there'll be a second before. I very, very, very much doubt it. So cheers. Thanks a lot for listening.